The 2018 midterms will no doubt go down as a success for Democrats. But can the party learn from the success of this year going into 2020? Or will it remain haunted by the mistakes of 2016 and taking Donald Trump head on? This is TikTok. I'm Dave Myers. Joining me today from Capitol Hill is Bloomberg's national political reporter, Sahil Kapoor. Thanks for joining us, Sahil. Happy to join. So you wrote today about the big lessons the Democrats have learned from their midterm success. What did they do differently in 2018 that might propel them to success in 2020? Well, the single biggest lesson that Democratic strategists told me they learned is quite simply to refuse to play on President Trump's turf when he tries to pick a fight. So in 2016, the Hillary Clinton campaign was happy to engage with him on cultural issues like stopping refugees or banning Muslims and, you know, took every opportunity it could to attack his temperament and to denounce his inflammatory rhetoric. And in 2018, they played it differently. They largely ignored his last-minute provocations about, you know, ending birthright citizenship, about the caravan of migrants, and they stayed focused on the issues that were most effective at swaying swing voters, including most notably health care and attacking the tax law by saying that it would drive up the deficit and threaten Social Security and Medicare, which are obviously popular programs. So the lesson was don't take the bait when he tries to change the topic and assume he's doing it on purpose was the way one former Hillary Clinton campaign aide put it to me. So why was the way Clinton handled Trump in 2016 ultimately such a failure with voters? Well, the, the short answer is that it didn't really break through to the voters that she needed to turn out, right? So attacks on President Trump's temperament and his qualifications may have played well with uh, Democrats who were already engaged, but it didn't sway uh, middle-of-the-road voters. It didn't sway independents in Rust Belt states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, which lifted him over the top. And that's one of the things that they changed in, uh, that, that Democrats changed in 2018. So where did they change that strategy for 2018 where, where they didn't take the bait? Was there a, one state or a few races that really were on display with this successful strategy? I would say most of the House races that ended up Ooh. going their way. I mean, Republican strongholds in places like Orange County, California, in the suburbs of Oklahoma City and Houston and Dallas that had voted Republican for a long time went Democrat for the first time. And in all of these races, Democrats had an obsessive focus, really, with the issue of health care. They attacked the Republican efforts to repeal Obamacare as uh, you know, a push that would weaken protections for pre-existing conditions, which uh, it would have done by allowing states to get waivers that would let insurance companies charge sick people more money. So they just, you know, they, they obsessively focused on that issue and, and uh, the issue of taxes, and it worked for them. And, but the, the president's strategy, you could also argue, worked. They, they did regain control of the, the Senate, and they picked up a few net seats there. So it seems that there are large pockets of this country that still do embrace the president's style and the president's message. So who exactly is that voter? Right. Well, that was the unfortunate, the uncomfortable lesson for Democrats after the 2016 election. You know, they thought that picking those battles with President Trump, that fighting on the issues that he wanted to fight on uh, and making it a referendum on his judgment and temperament would be, you know, would be beneficial to them. But they underestimated just how well his, you know, blustery attitude, his bravado, his insulting rhetoric uh, would play with, you know, voters who were frustrated who essentially wants somebody fresh, who doesn't look or sound like Washington, mm. uh, who is going to shake things up. 
So the strategy is rejiggered going into 2020 but after the midterms, but so is the electoral map. It, it's a little rejiggered as well. So how much does that change now uh, after the successful midterms for the Democrats? Well, there were some, there were some uh, less than bright spots. There were definitely some negatives for Democrats in the midterm elections. Most notably, uh, they lost the Ohio governor's race. They failed to pick up any House seats there. This has typically been a state that uh, votes you know, with, with the national mood. So the Democrats' failure to win seats there was, was a downside for them. In Florida, they lost a big governor's race, and they lost an incumbent senator, Bill Nelson. Uh, narrowly, but still, that was remarkable, because incumbent senators almost never lose re-election when the president is of the other party. Uh, you'd have to go back a long time uh, you know, to see the last time that that happened. So, and, and the reason this is happening is that President Trump has enabled Republicans to run up the score by enormous margins in rural areas and small towns, and there are a lot of those in places like Ohio and Florida. So th- those states are are, are redder than uh, you know redder than they have looked in previous election cycles. While you have Georgia and Arizona that are looking more purple than red after this cycle. Democrats won a Senate race in Arizona. They came uh, pretty close to winning the governor's race in Georgia. Obviously, a very very controversial race. The way um, some of the voting rules were were carried out, but it all comes down in 2020 to those Rust Belt states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, that President Trump won very narrowly. If the Democrats hold the Hillary Clinton states from 2016 and flip those three, they will win the presidency in 2012, uh, 2020. So if the strategy is don't take the bait and stay on message, does that mean voters are growing tired of, of the president's style? Well, some voters certainly are, but I think what Democratic uh, operatives have found is that they have, they have pulled this issue in, in, you know, among swing voters and in key parts of the country. And what they found is that concerns about Trump's temperament are widespread, but they don't necessarily translate to votes. In order to win votes, uh, these surveys by Democrats have found, you need to defeat the president on arguments of substance and policy and economics. And, you know, one of the, one of the um, lessons that Democrats learned was that if you consistently fight on the issues that President Trump wants to fight on, it will depress a Democratic turnout in key urban areas like in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in Detroit, Michigan. All these places had significant drop-offs in turnout in 2016 as compared to President Obama's re-election in 2012. And given the narrow margins in those three states, that might have cost Hillary Clinton the election. You know, the biggest task in making this a successful strategy, I, I think, would is, is controlling the news cycle, which is something the president is very good at doing. Um, but that's a pretty tall order not to let the president control the news cycle. So what did the people you spoke to say about the tall task that the 2020 candidates might face, you know, doing just that with Donald Trump? Right. It is absolutely a tall task. Uh, very, very difficult, difficult to challenge the president on you know, setting the agenda for the day, especially when he's the president of the United States, is obviously harder uh, than when he'll be on the ballot than when he was a candidate. But one Democrat I spoke to, Dan Pfeiffer, who's a former advisor to President Obama, said that Democrats in 2020 will need, I'm quoting here, a Democratic candidate who is able to tell a clear and compelling story that doesn't feature Trump as the main character, unquote. In other words, Pfeiffer concedes that uh, Trump's greatest political strength is his ability to move the conversation to topics that matter to his voters 
and off topics that matter to Democratic and swing voters. So he says the challenge is to is to come up with a message and to be relentlessly disciplined in sticking to it. So who might those candidates be that will have to be that disciplined, who, like who are experienced enough to accomplish that? Well, it's a wide swath right now of, of Democratic candidates who are uh, considering running for president. And I don't know that there is necessarily one type of candidate who will be better uh, in the general election. I think there are two paths that Democrats can take. One is the path of passion, which excites their voters and potentially puts Sunbelt states like Arizona in play. And the other is simple pragmatism to find someone who can be seen as a bridge builder and try to use that strategy to win back the Rust Belt. I don't think there is a consensus among Democratic operatives as to which type of candidate would be better now. There is certainly a variety of opinions on that. So we know the lessons the Democrats have learned going into 2020, but what have the Republicans learned? Well, they've learned that they need to do better in the suburbs. You know, there is a, a big realignment in uh, the American political landscape happening where uh, some of the suburbs that I mentioned, including Orange County, California, and uh, suburban areas in Texas, as well as in Florida, have gone Democrat. And what Republicans are saying is that they're very happy with the way they're doing in rural areas. They're winning some uh, you know, parts of the country as much as two-to-one uh, margins by three-to-one margins in, in some places in uh, Ohio, for instance, and in Florida. But there is a real danger to the party if they lose the suburbs, and this is primarily driven by an exodus among college-educated women who have preferred Republicans for a while but are turned off by President Trump's style, his tone, and uh, frankly, they, they took to the Democrats' message on, on health care in the 2018 election. Sahil, thank you. Thank you. Make sure to follow Sahil on Twitter. He's at Sahil Kapoor. That's the TikTok for today. Thanks for listening, and please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm Dave Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers, and you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok.